Welcome back. We are back again with another episode of Prospects Worldwide. We're continuing our series on the top prospects in every minor league system, and we're on episode 5 of 30. Today is all about the neighbors to the north, Canada's team, the Toronto Blue Jays. They're a solid system with exciting names littered throughout and a rabid fan base that is more than excited for the future. We're going to break down these Jays prospects right here, right now, so Toronto fans, as well as the newly minted Buffalo fans, sit back and enjoy today's episode. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide. We're up to number five, and we've got a fun one, guys. Today is all about those Toronto Blue Jays. We're breaking down the entire organization's top prospects you need to know, and here today to talk to me about those border-crossing bluebirds who we've already had a ton of elite promotions in recent top lists. I've got my co-host and the ruler of range factor, Mr. Jake Tillinghast. Jake, another day. How, uh, how is it on the West Coast? Oh, you know, it's bright and sunny. Joe Adele's got called up by the Angels. It's a great day. It, it's bright and sunny on the West Coast. I'm in the middle of a hurricane on the East Coast. I'm sorry about that. Stay safe. So, uh, I mean, I have power, so I, I'm out of the storm. I'm more worried about the people in the Mid-Atlantic right now. So, But also joining us, straight from Ontario himself, we've got Mr. Blue Jays prospect, Nathan Hutchinson. Nathan, how are you handling the season so far? Uh, it's been good. It's uh, short, sweet, and it's uh, in full swing. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, excited to continue to watch some baseball. What are Toronto fans talking about having to watch games in Buffalo Stadium? I think most Canadians are quite happy that it's in Buffalo and not Toronto after some of these recent spikes. I mean, it's scary bringing all these people into the country that's doing well for the most part. So uh, it's it's an ongoing situation and hopefully the Blue Jays can play well in Buffalo. Nice. Yeah. I, as I've said before, I'm an Orioles fan. So I was rooting for uh, Camden Yards to be the number one spot. At one point, Camden Yards was supposed to, after they couldn't go to PNC, there were talks about Camden Yards. And I thought that was going to be a pretty cool, uh, like a relationship builder. Uh, maybe a couple trades happening in the warehouse just because both teams happen to be in the warehouse at the same time. So I was I was hoping for something down the road, but I think they're going to work out well in Buffalo. But let's, let's dive into these Blue Jays. Uh, Nathan, Jake, you guys know the format. We're going to chat on the top five, and Nathan, you've picked five guys from the rest of the top 20 that you just want to spotlight. So let's go in the first guy on your list. The number one player in the Blue Jays org is pitcher Nate Pearson. Pearson is quite understandably one of the best prospects in baseball. Uh, you've got him with a potential 80 heater and a 60 future value. He's already made his first start, and sure, five innings of shutout ball with five Ks. It, this being the only start we have with proper pitch data, I'd like to bring up something I noticed over on baseball savant. I see he primarily used his fastball slider combo and in 75 pitches, he only threw three changeups, two curves and a single sinker. Even with focusing on two pitches, he was consistently sitting high in the zone with 12, miss- 12 missing the zone entirely. Uh, and another 20 were just in the uppermost quadrant. Is this just a case of simply, I guess, being amped up for his first start? Or did you see something iffy with his mechanics? Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably a mix of being amped, excited, trying to throw fastballs by guys, and a little bit of of a mechanical issue that he talked about in a a Zoom call after his start against the Red Sox, where um, he was dragging his back arm. He was a little out in front, and he wasn't fully timed up both leading to him missing up in the zone and his fastball being around 94 instead of 97. So uh, I'm excited to watch him pitch this week to see if he's made those adjustments to get that fastball back on track. Jake, with those mechanical issues, is this something like long-term? Is this an easy fix? Can this be fixed tomorrow? Or is this something that is going to take some time to kind of get him back in the proper rhythm? I mean, it'll probably take some starts. I mean, and especially with a short season, it, it should. I, I mean, he's had no real problems over the uh, over his development, kind of changing little parts of his game. So I think he'll be able to handle it, and in the long run, it will benefit him. So it's good to see. And just with the uh, missing up in the zone, it is something that he tries to do more than less. So he is trying to pitch up in the zone with his uh, above-average spin fastball. So it is what he's trying to do. Obviously, like you said, he was more amped up. And obviously, like what you guys touched on, that new mechanic is definitely going to add to that. So he did pitch really good. He faced kind of a watered-down Nationals lineup. So it was kind of a pretty easy first test for him. So I'm kind of curious how he does his next kind of uh, test and stuff to see how he kind of handles more impactful hitters consistently throughout a lineup and how he'll be able to kind of incorporate more pitches because he was 52% fastball and 40% slider. He only threw changeup, 
4% of the time and a curveball 2.7% of the time. So he didn't really mix them in too much. He didn't really have to. Obviously, he pitched pretty well. So just something to look forward to because he will need that third pitch going forward because that fastball is pretty flat. Well, when he goes out for his next pitch and, and over the course of his development for the next year or two years, what are we going to see in him, Nathan? Uh, what, what type of pitcher is he going to bring to the mound? Uh, in Toronto. He's a power pitcher. He wants to get hitters off balance. He wants to get them out in front. He wants to put fastballs up in the zone. And yeah, he wants fly balls and strikeouts. His changeup is going to have to be a pitch that he uses a little more frequently. Uh, In the fourth and fifth innings, it seemed like the Nationals were timing up the fastball a little better and uh his changeup's a, a good pitch right he he used it against the red Sox in a, an exhibition start and he got a couple swinging strikes with it so i don't know why he didn't use it very much at all and i'm i'm looking forward to see how it plays against the braves on thursday so uh there's a there's a part of my mind that wants to call this like the maddox factor remember the the old myths that craig man they could not they actually might be real stories but greg maddox would uh, purposefully not throw pitches for the first half of the season just so he could face those same batters in the second half of the season and astound them with this new changeup or something they didn't see earlier. Um, odds are this isn't the case, but there's a romantic part of it that I want to be like, yeah, no, Pearson knows what he's doing the whole time. This sinker, changeup, curveball, they're, they're going to come back in, in you know, next month. They're going to come out and, and he'll be a new starter. Yeah, and I think um, something to touch on too, he faced a lot of right-handed hitters in the lineup. So by changeup, he's more looking to use against the lefties. And the lefties he faced, I'm not too sure they were very impactful. So he kind of was able to dominate them with the fastball changeup or fastball slider. So he was, like I said, he didn't really need it too much, but he will need it going forward, as we said. One of the left-handed batters that he faced was Andrew Stevenson from the Nationals. And if I remember correctly, he was throwing strictly sliders against Stevenson. I'm not sure the other lefties in the Nationals orders, but it seemed like he was really trying to pound the slider in in that at-bat, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was just looking at the the chart that we have up right now on Pearson, and he was, like you said, he was working sliders in, in and low for the most part. He was missing a low with a lot of them, and then he was, for the most part, just p- pitching high and away with a fastball, pretty much every single fastball, but one was on the outer half, and most of them were on the, on the uh, up and away. So it's something he's probably just looking to do with his fastball, work up, and then kind of tunnel that off his slider, and then he'll need to work in that changeup because he did throw all his changeups versus the lefties. It's just two of them were in the right-handed batter's box so would have hit the guy. And the other one was just underneath the zone. It was a good pitch. I just, I'm not sure if he got us. We missed on it or not. Well, we're going to see him pitch against lefties soon. It looks like his next start is against the Braves scheduled. And obviously in the 2020, this could change in a snap. But against that Braves lineup, you're going to have lefty Freddie Freeman, switch hitter Ozzy Albies, uh, switch hitter and Johan Camargo. Camargo, They're going to have enough lefties to force him to start using more of his arsenal. Uh, so we'll, we'll be able to get a, get a better sense of it uh, on that next game. No but let's go ahead and move on down. Uh, an exciting one. The Blue Jays got about as lucky as anyone in the recent draft, picking fifth, but they snagged Austin Martin, who was presumed to be probably the second best prospect in the, on the board, uh, in a draft that many people only had three deep. Uh, he's 21, fresh out of Vanderbilt, 60 future value. When should we expect him, in like realistically, in the big leagues? Yeah, he's... He's definitely an interesting one. I saw some fans who, during summer camp, were expecting him to be put right into the lineup at third base. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's quite ready. I think I think a year in the minors will help Martin tremendously. I think facing pro pitchers is a, a big step for anybody. And uh, I'm expecting 2022, 15 days into the season, halfway through the season, he'll be ready and he'll hit for sure. In In the grand scheme of it, you know, he might go to third base now, but there's a lot of infielders in the system. And obviously Martin is you know, number two in the system. you got to give him, uh, I guess, the most credence to play whatever position he plays best. But does it make more sense to put him at third or does it make more sense to put him in the, in the outfield with all the other pro- prospects that we're going to be talking about? You know, spoiler alert, Jordan Groshans is a very good prospect that's probably also going to try to play third. Yeah. I like him long term in the outfield. If it's left or if it's center, I'm I'm not sure it matters a whole bunch. He's athletic enough where even if he's playing three different positions in a two week span, I think his bat will will end up carrying him for the most part. But uh, the Blue Jays need a future center fielder, and that's where he's playing in 2020 with Vanderbilt. It's a good fit there, so uh, I'm interested to see what where they uh, try him out either next spring training or the minor league season 
uh, it's it's definitely a an interesting situation. Yeah, yeah, Jake. What I guess two questions for you, Jake. What do you think about that same topic? That same kind of where he's going to fall. Where do you expect him to fall on the spectrum defensively? And what seasoning does he need uh, to better himself to go ahead and make that major leagues at that position? I do think he'll be a center fielder. I do think he'll move around a bit. Um, I think the seasoning is just going to kind of come down to him needing just more seasoning in center field. He got some reps at, uh, at Vanderbilt in center field, but he wasn't like the full-time starter there ever. So he will need to get some reps there. He will get them this year. It's a little less than exact game situations, but he's still going to get some good reps out there, I'm sure. They're probably going to get him as in, at, in the infield as well. I'm sure them moving Vlad over to first base has something to do with it. Obviously, Vlad's defense isn't strong by any means, so that also has a lot to do with it. But the fact they have all these bodies, there was no point to leave him there. And Martin's one of the guys that potentially could see time there right when he gets moved up, just get his bat in the lineup. And then where he kind of falls in defensively, he falls in maybe it's center, maybe it's third base, maybe it's left. But I do think long-term it'll be center. I think he has the arm, the speed, the athleticism, the game IQ, all the above to just be a fit out there. Well, uh, if you guys are all right, I want to go ahead and move on. There's a lot of Austin Martin talk on our draft pod that we did for the AL East. Uh, Obviously, he was one of the major people we spoke about there. So you can get a lot of your fill there. Just go to that pod, listen to that one, and you'll be able to hear a lot more about Austin Martin. But in the meantime, let's go to number three in in your board. And it's who I just spoke about, Jordan Groshans. You know, once the Blue Jays drafted Martin, we immediately thought of that future infield of Vlad and Biggio Bichette. It's hard topping that foursome for sure, but Jordan Groshans was there. He's already in the system. He was a shortstop, probably going to play third baseman, but he still he was at the time the number two prospect in their system. What are the Blue Jays going to do with him now? Is he now a third base if Martin's going to be in the outfield? Does he try to stay at shortstop and kind of usurp Bichette right there? What's what's their plan? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I'm not totally sure what the plan is. At summer camp, he was playing shortstop, but I'm not sure long term. I'm more sold on him in the outfield, honestly. I don't love him at short or at third. He really struggled there in uh, the short 2019 season he had. I think right field long term would make sense for Jordan. I think the bat would play well there. He's got tons of raw power. So uh, I'm interested to see what Jake thinks about Jordan Groshans long term defensively from a, a non-Blue Jays bias. <laughs> um. Well, I'll just be on point and say that Groshan is like one of my favorite just overall prospects in the minor leagues. So I might be higher than most people, than most non-biased Blue Jays fans. So I might be one of those biased Blue Jays prospect lovers right now, but it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, Groshan, like I said, I love everything about this kid. I don't think he's a shortstop either. Uh, I definitely think he's going to be a third baseman. I, I think he has the tools to make it there. Everything I've seen shows me he would transfer over there. He's not going to be standout. I wouldn't grade him as anything over a 50 at third base, but if he got a 50 with his bat at third, I'll take it. I do think he'd be a good fit in right field as well because he's got a more than capable arm. He's not the most speedy guy, which is fine. He's athletic, so he's a good fit out there. The bat's a match, as you said. But yeah, I definitely think he's in line to be the third baseman of the future for the Blue Jays if everything kind of falls the way I kind of see it happening. Just with Martin kind of going to center, I don't think he's moving or anyone's moving Bichette off a, cent- uh, off a shortstop in their system right now. That's kind of close to ready i think biggio is going to kind of turn into that the super utility guy going to be second third everywhere in the outfield first base give vlad rest all that kind of stuff we'll see groshans at third he might fit in that right as well to get someone in that bat there in the infield and just naming all these guys their potential is just off the charts quite honestly like i mean everyone knows it but yeah this system is insanely good at the top and Obviously, we've seen a lot of the guys graduate the last year, and there's another wave coming for the Jays. And once that wave hits, they're going to be able to compete with the best in the AL. Okay, so I guess my my, my question on Groshans here then. Um, Well, not necessarily on Groshans. My question on the Blue Jays org. There was a time where Vlad was third base of the future, and then we realized that wouldn't pan out. Groshans, maybe he can be third base. Oh, maybe he should play right field. Martin could play third base. Ah, maybe he should play center field. It's almost going to be disappointed if we look back at all these prospects and we see a hole at the hot corner and they have a weakness there with, with what could have been a real strength. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I think if all pa- doesn't pan out, like where they try Groshans eventually and he's like the guy and he doesn't work out, 
I think you can just move Martin back there unless he's showing plus defensive ability in center field. You can just move him right back to third base because in the long term, he might end up moving back there as his speed kind of dwindles long term. That's going to take another five, six years or whatever, but he might eventually find his way back to third base anyway long term. So you could just slap him right back there and then you got Martin at third, Bachet at short, Vlad at first, and you go find yourself a new center fielder. Maybe they have it in the system. Maybe they have someone come up by then. Maybe they have to go find someone, but he'll always have that possibility. And like I said, I do think he'll eventually find his way back to third base. It just will be his late twenties, early thirties kind of a deal. Okay. Well, well, let's move away from from Groshans here. Uh, let's go to number four on your list: uh, Simeon Woods Richardson. Uh, he, I mean, pretty much everyone in Canada was excited for him because he was one of the big parts of the return for that Marcus Stroman trade. Uh, back uh, last July. He's had quite a quick rise so far. In each level he's pitched, he's been something like three to five years younger than the rest of his league, but he still dominates. Uh, I mean, 11 strikeouts to two walks for his career and rates per nine, and he's only allowed seven homers in 33 career games. Uh, what is it about his makeup that allows him to just take over games against opponents who should, in theory, be more prepared and more developed? Yeah, I mean, he's not someone who when they first were traded to the Blue Jays, who I was very, like, I didn't know anything about him. And uh, he's really he's really impressed me going back and watching some of his starts from 2019. I think it's, a, it's the fastball-curveball combo that just plays so well off each other, and he, can, he has confidence to pitch in any count. It's really impressive the way he's always in control. If he's in a 3-1 count, I'm I'm expecting him to make a good pitch 8 times out of 10. Like there's just he's got the it factor that's hard to come by for some pitchers. He's someone I'm very high on right now and really excited to watch in the future. Sure. I mean, his peripheral statistics look excellent. I mean, 28% K rate, 5% walk rate, 0.5 home runs per nine. Like that's you can't beat that, but then usually when I see stuff like that, it comes with you know, 60 grade stuff. It looks like across the board, he's looking like 55 grade and all that stuff. That's not a huge difference from 60 grade, but it's enough to make me pause. Like Jake, what is it about this? I guess, is it the compilation of four pitches that are all good that the batters don't know what's coming? Yeah. So he's got, I mean, three above average pitches and then he's got a slider. Some people are calling it that kind of a cutter. So it mixes between different looks a little bit, but he's got three above average pitches between the fastball curveball changeup. And they can even show plus at times, but they're not consistently plus in our opinion. So we grade them as 55s, but he's got, again, above average command. So you plus or you you add all these pitches together with command as good as his, able to throw them against lefties, righties in any count. You get a good pitcher. And the, remember, the kid's only 19. He's got some projection left, too. He's six foot three. When he got drafted, a lot of people were giving him comparisons of uh, like a taller Michael Stroman. And then he got traded to the Blue Jays a year later. So just kind of coincidences and then he actually got traded for Stroman so it's just kind of really funny but I don't know if he's exactly Stroman-esque they're similar in ways of the command and kind of he's not going to exactly blow people away but he's gonna more pitch his way through games he'll find swing and misses he'll just kind of keep hitters off balance with the ability to kind of just go to any pitch in any count well well, let's move down let's move down to number five and you know when we started preparing for the Blue Jays I fully expected the top five to have you know, your Alejandro Kirk, someone who's been, you know, rapidly ascending uh, the Blue Jays ranks as of late, or at the very least, you know, last year's top pick, Alec Manoa. Instead, you're really bullish on 18-year-old shortstop Aurelvis Martinez. You have him listed with a 50 future value. Tell me about Martinez and why he's higher than some of these guys that I kind of just assumed would be in here. I'm pretty high on Martinez. And uh, the reason why is I love the power projection. He is someone who I think will... uh transition into a more analytical view on his swing with the Blue Jays in the future but uh there is some risk with Martinez and his hit tool long term he's not he's not the most mechanically sound hitter he he kind of changes what he's doing with his front side from time to time he'll he'll do a a normal load or sometimes he'll do a twist with his front foot or even a toe tap so uh it'll be interesting to see how he can find what works best for him and tap into that power that he's he's shown so you say the hit tool is probably the weak point here where it's like all right well if this develops he'll be a really elite prospect or really really solid prospect but maybe it's not going to develop I'm looking over your grades, and I see a 30 current fielding, 45 future. He's a shortstop. 
wouldn't you say that might be one of the bigger weaknesses if he's only at 45 fielding at shortstop he's gonna have to change positions off of there yeah he's probably a third baseman long term which Ooh, is uh, is he our filler is he our nine, third baseman of the future yeah, for the Blue Jays? yeah i was gonna bring that up when we were talking about that he he's someone i i could definitely see being a third baseman nice. he just he's not incredibly smooth at shortstop and it's i'm just not sure it's a great fit honestly i personally don't think he's a third baseman either long term i just think he's too rigid on the infield as a whole i think he's gonna be i think he's gonna be a left fielder right fielder he's got the arm to play out there and right his battle match i'm not sure if he'll be able to be that kind of overall right field defender that you kind of want out there you kind of just put this kind of overall profile i think in left yeah his bat's pretty solid it's it's gonna be fun to watch as he kind of develops and stuff he he obviously could develop into a decent fielder even league average in the outfield and if he does he'd be a perfectly fine right fielder he has time to still make it at third base. I mean, you can still start a guy that's not going to be a 50 fielder, 45 fielder at third. It's doable. It's just probably going to look at this guy moving off. And I don't think he's the third baseman in the future. I I mean, I don't think, like you said, there's no real strict for sure option at the top right now. Like all these guys have some question marks. It will, they will find someone between the group. I think it'll be Groshans. Um, I think we'll find Aurelvis. I mean, he's still a long ways away. He's, he's only 18. He's missing a year this year. So I still think he's a bit away so he's kind of like in that wave after this next wave so i don't even know if the blue jays are really counting on him at this point to kind of contribute anytime soon it is what it is kind of with him we're just kind of watching him develop maybe fixes his uh his actions in the on the infield maybe becomes a above average defender in the outfield there's just a lot of time for him to figure stuff out he's got a lot to work on just with the bat too he's a really heavy heavy pull hitter i mean he was 61% pull last year's. He's getting the ball on the ground and the air a decent bit. Not many line drives, but he's got a good bit of swing and miss. He's got an exciting loud bat, but there's a lot to kind of iron out. So I don't think we'll just see this guy anytime soon. He's probably going to be at earliest 23, probably a 24, maybe even possible 25 guy. Just kind of depends on how all this kind of develops with the position change, the swing and miss, the pull game and all that. Because as he moves up, he's going to get kind of exposed more and more because he'll face better pitching that can kind of figure out his weaknesses and attack him more frequently. So I know we usually do this at the end of the podcast. We usually ask uh, listener emails at the end. But I do have one that kind of fits in really nicely here as we're rounding out the bottom five. Uh, you mentioned Martinez being 18 years old and not being able to play this season, how it might affect his development. We did have a listener email from uh, on Reddit from Upbeat Music. He wanted to know, who prospect-wise does this lost year of minor league baseball hurt the most? Does it help anyone? Or who would have really surprised us this season? Is Aurelvis kind of the answer to this question for like of this prospect list? He's the guy that's probably hurt the most because he's the highest ranked young guy. Uh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say like the ranking is necessarily a factor. I would just say the youth is a is a definite. Um, the youth, anyone young is definitely going to be hurt by it. Obviously, you want as many reps as you can get. And especially with a guy that might have a position change, this might be a year where they want to maybe. All right, let's see how he handles the position at shortstop right away. And if he has some different stuff that we want to see good if not let's see how he kind of does at a position they don't exactly have that ability unless they add these guys to the alternate site rosters so i mean the people that are getting added to those rosters are definitely going to be getting a good competition level that's great development i mean a guy like Aurelvis or anyone his age if they're on the roster 18 19 even 20 i mean they're getting good competition so you're getting good coaching you're getting all the coaching kind of at at your disposal for the most part like the games can be stopped the games can be paused you can focus on situations that you different stuff you can't maybe focus on in a game because you don't ever see it so it's some players do benefit from this a lot of players are going to get hurt from it a lot of the players that aren't on these rosters are going to just get kind of crushed with development and it just kind of depends on what they're doing it's kind of come to that last aspect of scouting that it kind of gets, I guess, ignored at this aspect is makeup and kind of drive to want to be great. And a lot of these guys have it and a lot of them don't. And this time will kind of shine on those guys. <laughs> that is a well thought out and well reasoned answer. And I'm kind of astonished. <laughs> uh, Nathan, I hate to make you follow that. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, an important factor that these teams had to go through choosing like the last players on the 60 man rosters when i read over this question one guy that came to my mind was Deson brown uh, an outfielder who was drafted in the third round in 2019 he was and he was already someone who was going to be looked at as someone who was going to need 
probably almost maybe two, two and a half years in rookie ball. So him being pushed back and not having like a, a full year of development in the Gulf Coast League or the Appy League is he's someone who's going to be pushed back a little bit, someone who's an incredibly raw hitter. So uh, he's someone that I think got hurt the most from not having a season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, upbeat music on Reddit. I uh, I assume you're happy with that answer because that was uh, one of the more well-reasoned responses we've had on Prospects Worldwide so far. But like I said from the beginning of that question, that was the top five. Now, Nathan, I want to move to the guys that you kind of spotlighted. Uh, and the first one here is someone who I just spoke on prior, catcher Alejandro Kirk. My question to you is actually another one from a listener. We'll try to make this one a little quicker. Do you think Alejandro Kirk is a versatile enough player to play any other position other than catcher? And that's from B-Dog Benny. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe left field, but I, I don't think he runs well enough to play in the outfield. I think it's catcher, maybe long term, probably a, a DH. I'm not even sure first base works. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's that makes more sense why he's not as high on your rankings. If you're almost going into the league automatically at DH, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Jake, do you do you know anything about Kirk? Uh, his defensive abilities, his ability to call the game. Um, I don't know anything specifically on his ability to do, actually call the game, but just in general, I don't think it's going to probably matter too much. Mm. I don't know if this guy's going to stick a catcher. I'm definitely a low guy on Kirk. Just overall, I'm not either sold on the hit tool too. We have it as a 60. I'm, I'm not there to say it's a 60, but obviously I'm not the one making every grade. So that's just my opinion. But yeah, I'm, I'm just not sold overall. I think as he kind of moves up, the bat's going to get a little more exposed in the bodies. Obviously just not what you want, obviously. The speed's bottom of the scale. The defense, as we said, it might be generous at a, being a future 45. So he's got a decent arm. Uh, the guy, he just reminds me too. Honestly, I mean, it's pretty simple with him. It's just Williams a studio. The body is similar. They both aren't the best catcher. Will a studio actually still plays it a little bit, but he's able to move around the diamond a little more. He's got a little more athleticism than Kirk, but he's going to be Williams a studio light, I would say. And that's, yeah. Well, Williams' number one uh, feature is he never strikes out. He never walks. Uh, and he's another one of these guys that has, I mean, he has, he definitely 24% of his bats end in either a walk or a strikeout. But that's a lot lower than a lot of other guys. A lot of guys, strikeouts alone are 33, 35, 40%. Add in the walk rate, you're going higher. He does a good job of kind of playing that same Astadillo game of not striking out, not walking, making contact on the ball, and just letting the Babip do its course. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he only got a 5.3% swing strike all of last year in the minors. So, I mean, for the most part, when he swings, he's putting he's putting the bat on the ball and hoping for the best. And so far, it's worked for him, I mean, throughout the minors. But as I said, as he kind of goes up the ranks, I think he's going to get a little bit more exposed. Just the overall profile is just very light and not where the game's going. Okay. Well, I was going to ask a question about Kirk and the the Blue Jays being stacked at catcher and where he's going to fall in the depth chart. And, you know, you've got uh, Jansen and McGuire and, and Adams. and But I guess it turns out it doesn't matter because neither one of you see Kirk as a catcher long term. So when it comes to a depth chart, he won't be on it. Uh, but let's move from 7 down to 11, the next guy in your spotlight, infielder Miguel Geraldo. Uh, he's yet another intriguing infield prospect. We, we keep seeing these in this Blue Jays system. Uh, we're potentially looking at a pretty advanced bat with enough arm to stick at the corner if his limited feeling kind of forces him to make that move. Is this going to be finally the guy that fills that third base slot? Uh, every other third baseman we've, so far, we've just shifted to the outfield. We've just shifted everyone over there. I'm looking at 55 future hit, 45 plus future power, uh, 55 arm. He can play third, right? I hate to do this, but I got him as a second baseman long term. I don't know if there's something I saw when I was writing this, but I just, I don't really like him as a third baseman and I'm not sure. Well, your article does say second baseman shortstop. So I'm making that move all on my own when I say third base. I didn't mean to put that word into your mouth. My reasoning in my notes, which I'm not sure how Jake feels about it, but uh, I don't think his arm is consistent enough 
right now to play third base. Um, I, I I agree. He can definitely work on accuracy and stuff. It's definitely pretty strong. It's not a plus arm. We have it as a 55 future. It's strong. I don't think he's going to be a third baseman either. I just don't think the whole profile kind of matches there. I as well think he'll probably be a second baseman. He's probably not going to be a shortstop either just due to the overall defensive ability. Um, moving him to second base long term will help his arm accuracy. He doesn't have to worry about the long throws. He can kind of just worry about more getting in on the money and let the arm strength kind of take over. Yeah, he'll probably be one of those guys that just kind of has to, if he wants to fit on the Blue Jays with the rate they're going, he's going to have to be that second base slash maybe third base every once in a while in the outfield a little bit just like everyone else is going to have to kind of just fit around until someone claims that third base position and then the guy that claims it is going to get to run away with it and everyone else is going to have to figure out all right where do i fit in or which team am i playing for tomorrow because there's not going to be a room for all these guys and it's a good situation to be in for the blue jays obviously you want to have all these options half the guys we talk about today are not going to be someone we remember in five years and maybe they are most of them won't be most of the guys on these prospects list of the 600 prospects we're ranking throughout all the teams we could see 50 of them in five years still in the league so it's just the way it goes you want to have depth and the blue jays are doing a good job of it it's just they got to find that guy to stick there you guys say it best there it doesn't seem like he has a spot with groshans and martin and bichette and biggio and orelvis and, and all these guys that are these middle infielders in the system that all have to play somewhere. So, I mean, Geraldo easily could be trade bait or, or someone else in the system could be. You're right, Jake. This is, it's almost silly to project a depth chart when tomorrow everyone could be playing on the Marlins. Uh, but let's move on. Thank you for chuckling at that. <laughs> let's move on to number 12 on your list. Uh, right-handed pitcher, Kendall Williams. He's only 19 years old. He was last year's second round pick. He's a six foot six, two hundred and five pound body. There's a lot of projection to do here, both in that body and in his stuff. Uh, it seems like the big question with him isn't his tools. All of his pitches grade out you know, well enough, but it's just he's so long and lanky. Getting him to repeat that delivery in a more, I guess, consistent fashion. If Williams is able to hone in these mechanics and show us better consistency what's his upside what's his ceiling yeah um that, that's exactly it if he can get his delivering his mechanics to be sound and more repeatable i think he's a mid-rotation starter for a contending team i mean he's he's got four average to above average pitches he he has good command right now he hasn't pitched all, a whole lot professionally only six starts 16 innings but uh it's an intriguing arm it's a de- decently high upside not the highest floor but uh he he's definitely someone who's intriguing and if he puts it all together he's a he's a, an mlb caliber arm for sure yeah kendall's fun he's definitely got some stuff to work on obviously he's a young pitcher he might be one of those guys that get hurt a little bit by missing the year. He's um next time we see him, he'll be 20 years old and he hasn't been past rookie ball. So a guy like that is definitely tough to kind of project moving forward. I mean, if everything goes kind of right, you're seeing this guy in 23, 24. Most pitchers need about three years in the minors to kind of get some seasoning, some length in their development and innings and just kind of iron out the kings because he's got to work on some command isn't great right now we have it as a 35 to 50 future so we think it can get there it's just right now it's just pretty raw and all the kind of secondaries and even the fastball is just kind of a he just kind of rears back and lets it go for the most part he's kind of just trying to strike people out in the long run he doesn't really need to do that because he's got a ton of projection and the arms strong enough to kind of just take up the velocity on its own he doesn't need to do that and worry about it he's just gonna as the kind of the, the jays kind of start working with him he'll He'll harness that. Just not being pitching full ter- full time this year is going to hurt him. So it just these are the kind of guys I definitely get concerned about too. Like I said, he's going to be 20 next time we see him. He'll be an A ball. He'll need to definitely show something because if he has a rough year, he might be one of those guys. It's like, well, we kind of forgot about him. He's 21. He's going to be in A ball again. 21 has pitched maybe 60, 70 innings this year, and we haven't really seen much of this guy in three years of being on the uh, in the organization. So those are the guys that I get worried about, but I think he's got the talent to definitely succeed. Like, I, I definitely think this guy's got the talent. Well, Jake, you, you touched on uh, the Jays' development team there, uh, how they're going to work with him. And it, it kind of, I, I hate to do it. I, I want to go back to another one of these questions. The Blue Jays fans that were so good at asking these proper questions. GZA Firus, probably mispronounced that, but uh, he wanted to know, where did the Jays excel with training and shaping up prospects? where other organizations might fail, uh, where can they improve? I feel like 
Williams kind of is this prospect that, you know, that's what they look for. Is Am, am I right there? Yeah, I mean, everyone that I've talked to, that's just kind of what they talk, or that's what they target. I mean, it's pretty obvious if you just look at their organization when it comes to, I mean, strictly at the top, we just saw him debut. It comes from Pearson. It goes to Manoa, who they just drafted in 2019 in the first round. Klofenstein's another big guy. Uh, then we got Kendall here. So they got a, and they got a few more in the system too, who I'm not even going to touch on, but they got, that's what they target early in the draft. They think these guys have the ability to be workhorse starters more or less. And the fact that they all show multiple pitches to secondaries that they think are going to be major league caliber pitches. They show some swing and miss. They show all the stuff that you kind of want to see from a guy that's six six. And I mean, Kendall's not the weight yet. I think he'll put on a little bit more weight as he kind of gets older. But I mean, the guys are drafting for the most part of these six six guys that are just these big burly right handers that we haven't really seen be too successful in the long in the last few years. It's we've been seeing these kind of lean kids come up and just hurl the ball and get hurt in a few years. So maybe their philosophy is we can get these guys that are big and durable and they won't get hurt as often. So that could be their philosophy. I'm not exactly sure on that part of it, but this is something they do target. And I know that for a fact, and it's just something they have definitely shown that they're capable of doing. And I don't see it really slowing down anytime soon. So come draft day, Look for the six-six guy that's going in the first, second round, and hope the Jays have a chance for him. I, I want to move. I want to keep going down the list. Let's jump all the way down to sixteen. It's your next guy, uh, another. The Blue Jays are famous for having the uh, the famous last names. Obviously, the the son of uh, Jeff Conine. We got Griffin Conine. I guess my question also, of course, comes from Reddit. I was very lazy with writing these questions, apparently. Where do you see Griffin Conine's career track progressing, uh, assuming that the minor leagues return to normal operations after the 20 season? Yeah, he, he's someone who played in low A ball in 2019, and he's already 23. He'll be 24 at the start of next season. So I'm expecting him to be in the double A, triple A realm. And uh, if he can keep the average up, I mean, he's, he's someone who will be able to play in the MLB. But I mean, the strikeouts are a concern. The swing strike percentage is a concern. The walk percentage isn't incredibly high either. His BABIP's quite high as well, which isn't always a good sign. But uh, he's someone who just has power. He, he He's a power bat. I'm not incredibly high on him. He reminds me so much of Kevin Smith, another guy who was a top 100 prospect a couple years ago with uh, the same kind of power who just didn't turn out. So maybe Conan can take some tips from Kevin Smith on to how to keep up the power and strikeouts in check a little bit. Yeah, I'm not ex- I'm also not too high on Conan. I think his stats are very kind of ignorable, quite honestly. Like you said, he's 23 playing at A-ball, so he's for the most part older than every single player he's playing against and that's something to be said about that. You want to kind of be seeing prospects playing against I mean, at worst, their age group, and then hopefully playing up and playing people that are generally better than them. Yeah, I, I don't trust the bat to move up and be effective. I don't. I'm not as well. I'm not too high on the fielding. We have it at 50. I would possibly have it as a 45 myself. I just don't know if he's a consistent everyday fielder. He's a right field profile. It's just a power, good arm. But yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be the one father-son duo in Toronto that we're not going to be able to kind of see too often. I think the majority of them are going to work out for them, but I, I don't know about this one. Well, I, I want to uh, get real statistical here. So if you're not a nerd, just turn away. Uh, I was looking over uh, the strikeout rates compared to every prospect in every level. He, he's striking out 36% of the time. Compared to every single prospect at every single level, I went to Fangraphs. <clears throat> and I took out all the prospects who were batting like 170 uh, because they're never going to make the, the majors anyway with that. So, so I want to look at the prospects who were legitimately, you know, a chance to make the majors. So I set the minimum batting average to 250 just to try to weed out those guys. With that, Griffin Conine had the second worst strikeout rate left. Only Drew Ward was worse. He had 37%. It, it's astounding to me that he can keep a 370 on base percentage with a 36% strikeout rate. That means every time he comes up to the plate, there's a 73% chance he's either going to get on base or strike out. Only 27% of his plate appearances end with him getting an out in the field. Uh, mix that with, like you said, Nathan, an incredibly high Babbitt. It's over 400. And it's undoubtable that Conine has relied on luck so far in this career. You know, once those balls in play are then caught, all those slash line numbers are going to go down, respectively. And there's a very real chance that we're left with a much worse version of Griffin Conine. I guess, after all that said, 
is that anything? <laughs> it, it's just luck, right? Like Conine has relied on sheer power and luck so far to push him to a 283 batting average. Yeah, and I think it comes back to too, what I said earlier. He's playing against kids that are a lot younger than him. And in A-ball, you're, for the most part, going to be facing, I mean, heck, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, 20 21. The guys that are like you that are struggling and not really seen as full-term prospects. I mean, you're 23 in A-ball. There's a reason there. Probably he's likely just taking advantage of pitchers that don't have good command, quite honestly. I mean, a lot of those guys down there, are good pitchers. They just don't have any command. Like we've kind of been touching on these guys above. They're good pitchers. They got to work on their command. So he has a decent eye at the plate. He's able to work walks. And as he kind of gets ahead in the count, he's able to just kind of eventually draw those walks. But as he keeps moving up, as you said, that's going to eventually not keep happening. The next level he sees, that's going to drop his K rates, likely going to go higher than already at 36%. The walk or the walker is going to come below 11. The next level he goes, it's going to do the same thing. And if he were to be in the major leagues, I wouldn't be shocked to see that K rate even above 40 right now. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff to work on. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a fan of him. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> but I, I want to be as upfront as upfront and honest. After I did my statistical dive, he was truly he was the top of the leaderboards for all the wrong reasons. That's generally not a good sign. Yeah. Well, uh, Nathan. If you're all right, I want to move to the last guy. Your last spotlight player is Otto Lopez. Yet another infielder, surprise, the Jays just keep developing. Uh, I do enjoy players like Lopez, though. He's wildly aggressive on the base paths, probably to a fault. But he's versatile enough to play several positions across the diamond. At 21 years old, we should probably see him maybe next year or the year after. And when we do, what are we going to get? Are we going to get like a sneaky leadoff hitter, utility type? What is Otto Lopez? Yeah, he's definitely a utility type player. The uh, not a whole lot of power. The hit tool plays pretty decent in the lower levels, but against MLB pitching, it's probably not incredibly consistent or high. He's probably a, a utility guy with some speed and some streaky hitting. I watched a ton of Lopez and Jay's low A ball team had a lot of talent, so I was watching him a bunch and uh. He, he went on multiple seven-plus game hit streaks over the course of the season. He's a fun player to watch. He's incredibly aggressive. He hits the ball on the ground a ton, a lot of infield singles. He gets on the base pass, and he wants to steal. He's a, yeah, he, he's a fun utility-type player with a potential to play any position other than maybe first base catcher and right field at a decently high level. Yeah, um, I'm not too high on Lopez. I'm not super sold on his full package like you said i don't think he's going to be a starter anyway he's definitely a utility guy i haven't watched a ton of him in the last year or two i'll be honest but just kind of looking at his overall profile and stuff you say he likes to run dang this guy's got 20 steals and 15 caught stealings i told you he's aggressive to a fault (laughs) (laughs) that is interesting um yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Like, when you were watching his games, was he just too, like, aggressive? Or was he just running in dumb situations? Or was he getting bad jumps? Or was he just... Yeah. It, do you know or, the story behind that? Or is the coach just saying, run every time? Yeah, it's probably a mix of all of those. He was... Uh, when he was on first, he was ready to run at all times. Was it, like, the first pitch every time he would just, like, go in? Or was it, like, he'd pick his spots? He'd like pick his all spots. Right, oh, oh, 0-2 count, I might go on a curve. Yeah. Probably not the greatest decision maker. He, uh, even on like a walk, he'll get the first, he'll have a, a pretty big lead and he'll get picked off or he'll get a bad jump. Or it's, uh, it's an interesting base runner to say the least. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It seems pretty interesting. It'd definitely be something to watch as he moves forward because he's getting caught at that level. He'll definitely get caught moving forward. So if he's getting caught that much and Speed's the best part of his game. He's going to have to definitely iron that aspect out if he's going to want to be a contributor at the next level. But there's definitely hope, no doubt. It'll be interesting to watch over the next kind of year or so. There's a I, – I, I'm just stumbling across this. There's an MLB.com article that Otto Lopez scouted himself. And uh, he he claims his biggest tool is work ethic. And that, that you know if, if that's the case, by all means, that's not a classic tool. So maybe he has that something extra – that's going to push him, propel him to the next level where he can work on that base path, base path aggression because uh, maybe his work ethic needs to kind of go into there a little bit to, to kind of rein that back in. But that's the uh, top 20. I do want to 
spotlight the 10 guys we didn't speak of today. Just touch on them for a quick second. Last year's first rounder, Alex Manoa, did come in at number six, followed by catcher Gabriel Moreno at eight, and a couple of righties at nine and 10, CJ Van Eek and Adam Kloffenstein. Uh, 13 through 15 were righty Eric Pardino, center fielder Dason Brown, who you did touch on, and uh, lefty Anthony Kay, who was the other main piece in that Stroman trade. Uh, finally, 17 and 18 were even more middle infielders, Leonardo Jimenez and uh, Raquel DeCastro. And now, finally, 20, the righty hurler, Joey Murray. And Joey Murray is actually already on the 60-man roster, so we'll probably get a chance to see him this year. But with that list spewed out, go further down the list, Nathan, outside the top 20. Give me some names of guys who either just missed the list or guys that might appear on this list soon once some of these guys graduate. Yeah, I had a couple guys I put at the bottom of the article that the guy who I have at 21 is uh, Estevan Machado. He was an international free agent signing. He's got a good bat, and uh, he's uh, pretty athletic and can play shortstop at a decent level. A couple other guys were Will Robertson and Kevin Smith, who both have some pop, but uh, aren't really consistent enough to be top 20 guys. And uh, a guy who's probably not going to end up ever being in the top 20 but the top 30 guy with some bat is uh adrian montero he played in the gulf coast league last year and hit 350 with a 400 plus on base percentage and he's someone who i'll have my eye on in 2021 and the last guy was santiago espinal he's probably a backup infielder long term but uh He's shown some good defense at the MLB level, but the bat's just not there. I, uh, I'm glad you had Santiago Espinal on that list. He, for some reason, is one of my favorite players. Um, I know you say the bat's not there, but he does make good contact. I guess, well, he limits strikeouts. And mix that with a good arm, good running, good fielding. Uh, I always enjoyed Santiago Espinal's, at least, stat lines, if that makes sense. He was always a player that I would say... You know, as an Oriole fan, like, oh, if he ever landed on the waivers, I want him. I want him picked up. Similar to Bravik Valera, how we picked up Valera, and he was kind of that guy for us. I felt like Santiago Espinal could kind of be that guy. Uh, Jake, what did you think of the Blue Jays system as a whole? Were there any guys that kind of stood out to you like this? Um, I mean, he kind of touched on the extra guys for the most part. Just the one that I, I was super high on him even a year ago was Kevin Smith but he clearly took a big step backwards this year. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting guys that he kind of touched on. Uh, I'm interested to see what kind of Machado can do when he gets over to the States. They're a national guy he touched on. He's, they're always interesting to kind of just see how they contribute and turn into, because for the most part, we don't have much data on these guys and much even footage. So it'd be fun to see how he does. The system's interesting. There's a lot of big talent at the top. I mean, as most systems have a lot of talent at the top. And then towards the bottom, there's a lot of, utility guys guys that are could be in or off the list you could add a few more guys that are major league ready maybe like tj zook or thomas hatch who's performing now like those guys are gonna probably make it to the major leagues again or they already are but do they have that big of potential probably not so they're probably the reason why they're not on our list and even another guy like reese mcguire i do think he's actually pretty decent um i just to kind of touch on that real quick, I think the combination of Jansen and, and McGuire can be pretty solid for the Jays. Um, just a nice right-handed, left-handed duo to kind of give uh, the team to kind of work with and let them kind of both settle into, uh, all, I'm going to handle Pearson, we work together, you're going to handle these guys. I think that could be a good little combo. It's not going to be ever legitimate all-star level stuff, but it'll be a cheap platoon that is young and inexpensive and effective. But yeah, the system's fun. It'll be interesting to see how they do the next two drafts international signings, though. And also just two guys from the draft. I think Trent Palmer and Nick Frasso both have pretty decent potential. And they might have made my bottom of the 20 list or right around there. So look for them to be definitely on this list as some of these top guys um, get knocked off. They were just drafted this year, so they're going to be hot names as well. But they both have pretty good potential. Frasso's pretty underrated. He was pitched out of a local school out by me, Loyola Marymount. Got a lot of talent. I know one of our writers, um, Zach, um, on Twitter, I think it's Zach Matt 4 He's really high in him. He talked about him on our draft pod. You can also hear about Trent Palmer as well as G.J. Van Eyck as, uh, as we touch on them all. And, yeah, I think both of those could be on the list. I'm not too sure Zach Britton will be on there. But, yeah, those two guys I would definitely be on the lookout for. Okay. Yeah, again, we talked about the AL East in that draft pod. So, guys, please go back and listen to that. Uh, you'll get some really good information on there. Zach 
Zach Silverman is is a beast when it comes to those scouting reports, and he did a standout job with a lot of those guys. But Jake, Nathan, it has been a blast having you on, uh, learning a lot about these Canadian prospects that are going to be the future of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, as we sign off, I want you guys to give me the same goods as I always ask. Where can people find you on social media? And do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, you can find me, Jake, at jtillinghast27 on Twitter. J-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T-27. Uh, you can follow Prospects Worldwide on Twitter, Prospects World W. You can go to our website, prospectsworldwide.com. Uh, obviously, subscribe to our pods as you're listening to right now if you are listening you should be subscribing that's kind of the deal we made at the beginning um but yeah subscribe (laughs) to our youtube as well that's helped us out as well everything um we appreciate all the feedback all the questions coming in they're awesome they are honestly really good keep them up they add a lot to the pods they add a lot to our analysis and they're good stuff we appreciate them a lot but yeah i can send those send those on twitter reddit wherever you find us to john to myself uh, really anyone on the team we're all open here so happy to have them the more questions you ask the less questions that i have to say of jake what do you think about this guy <laughs> when you give me a proper question you get good answers guys uh nathan where can they find you and what can you plug uh yeah on twitter it's uh hut 1760 and uh on instagram it's blue jays prospects and uh yeah follow prospects worldwide it's a fun group with a lot of great analysis and uh, excited for the future yeah absolutely we have a we have a sterling future ahead of us we got a lot of good things planned but guys as always i'm john giles you can follow me on twitter at puma revived that's p-u-m-a-r-e-v-i-v-e-t please continue listening to the pod we'll have a ton more of these episodes coming out over the season Remember to give us that good review like Jake said. You can find this article for everyone we mentioned here on prospectsworldwide.com. While you're there, click around and have some fun. We've got some player scouting reports, analysis, team draft recaps, and a lot more. As I've said before, thank you to that Reddit crew. I couldn't have done these shows without you. A lot of these questions are really, really pertinent. Uh, please, if you have any more questions, send them in to me. Send them in to Jake. Let us know. If there's just something that you want us to banner on, let us know that as well. We're always happy to do whatever you guys want. I look forward to reading those questions. Thank you for listening today. I'm John Giles, and this is Prospects Worldwide.